Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. Well, every week we have another algorithm update to talk about, and this week is no different. (laughs) Although I'll tell you, I'm fairly certain that what we saw this week was just yet another tweak at Google improving their understanding of relevancy and whether websites are meeting the needs of searchers. In this episode, I'm going to share with you what I learned this week as I dug into ranking changes for sites that were affected by recent updates. We'll talk about what we learned from Google's most recent report on web spam, which is always interesting to me. And we'll also talk about this thing that caused quite a stir when people started noticing that their featured snippets contained links that opened up to other search results. That caused a lot of discussion this week as well. This is episode number 182 of Search News You Can Use. We've had a bunch of new listeners over the last few weeks, so if you're new, welcome. I don't claim to know everything in SEO, but since 2008, so 13 years or so, I've been really obsessed with trying to figure out what types of things Google's algorithms reward. And somewhere along the way, I discovered this little secret that if I share with other people my theories and my thoughts on the things that I've learned, then I'm more likely to retain these things that I've learned. So what you'll hear in this podcast is a little mixture of some current SEO news, or at least what I'm seeing people talk about in my circles, along with whatever tips I can pass on that might help you improve your website. You can follow along and read our written version of these stories, plus many more that I don't cover in podcast at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. All right, now we've got all that out of the way. Let's start where we usually do and talk about what happened with Google's algorithms over the last week. Pretty much every week now we've had what we've been calling mini updates. And this week is no different. Barry Schwartz noticed a lot of chatter in the SEO forums around April 30th and May 1st as well, with people mostly complaining about traffic drops. A few people talking about seeing increases or improvements, although that's usually the case. When we have an update, people tend to go to the forums to figure out what went wrong. And so you're going to have more people talking about losses than gains usually in the forums. And Glenn Gabe tweeted some SEMrush traffic estimates showing some really significant swings in traffic for quite a few sites at this time as well. What's interesting to me, though, is that the screenshots that Glenn shared all show sites that appear to also have been affected by the product reviews update. Um, So I'm talking about, you know, something happened. Glenn saw a lot of sites April 29th, uh, April 30th, May 1st as well, I think is what I've I've heard. Um, And... He's tweeting about these sites that have seen changes, but a lot of these sites were also affected by the product reviews update. So he shows a site with hundreds of thousands of visitors, so significant amount of traffic, that saw a very significant decline starting April 8th, which is the day that the product reviews update launched. And then it looks like all of these losses that the site had were completely recovered around April 29th or 30th. And then in his next image, there's a site that saw some gains on April 8th, again, coinciding with the launch of the product reviews update, and then even more significant gains starting April 29th. And then he's got an image of another site, again, that showed really big improvements starting April 8th, 
and then a bit of a decline on the 29th, a significant one, actually. Didn't completely reverse all the gains they'd gained, but uh, but still significant enough. So it looks to me like Glenn is saying that whatever happened on April 29th, 30th, and possibly May 1st as well, when we look at chatter from around the web, was somehow connected to the product reviews update. But the thing is, Danny Sullivan told us that the product reviews update finished rolling out on April 22nd. That was like a week prior <laughs> or longer. So in my mind, there's two different ways to explain what's happening here. There's no doubt that Google made some type of significant change to their algorithms at the end of April. And this change seems to be dramatic for many websites. The weird thing though, is that I'm not seeing this in our data. Now we do have sites with increases or decreases that start around that time, the end of April. But every case that I investigated had an explanation that was connected to real world events. One of our clients had what I've called hockey stick growth in the past. <laughs> go Leafs, go. <laughs> Cups coming, right? Uh, starting on May 1st. But it looks like what they're seeing is actually an increase in demand for their product because of what's going on in the world right now. It's connected to travel and travels opened up in their part of the world. And you really can't compare year over year traffic because a year ago we had just started into the pandemic and lockdowns. So for this site, traffic is up, but there really hasn't been a significant change in rankings, which means that their improvements probably aren't connected to whatever changed in Google's algorithms. And for pretty much every case that I could find amongst our clients that had changes in traffic at the end of April, I struggled to make a case that a Google algorithm change was the cause. It doesn't happen often that the SEO community is screaming about a big update and I can't find clients to analyze amongst our database. But this did happen with the launch of the product reviews update as well. And again, with this April 29th to May 1st change as well. So maybe we just don't have any clients that were affected strongly by the product reviews update. It's possible. We do have clients with the odd keyword that changed in rankings on April 8th, but the product reviews update is supposed to be a site-wide update that benefits entire sites when Google recognizes that the site generally does a really good job at informing readers who are trying to learn about a product or service. Although from what I've seen, and heard, it seems to have a penalizing effect on low quality affiliate sites. So who knows? <laughs> and even though we have many clients that have content that's either review content or competes against review content, none of those sites saw a site-wide change of any significance, at least that I can see. So what does all this mean? I think that one possibility is that all of this that I've just talked about was indeed connected to the product reviews update. Even though the product reviews update finished rolling out on April 22nd, it's certainly possible that Google's engineers made some adjustments to that algorithm. They've told us that, well, one day the product reviews algorithm might run in real time at some point. For now, it's an algorithm that they're going to run periodically. So it's possible that they change something there. Danny Sullivan did say that Google might tell us when they rerun the product reviews algorithm, but he didn't promise it. So I think it's quite possible that what we saw or what some of you saw at the end of April was a tweak to the product reviews update. 
The only thing that doesn't sit right with me in all of this is that, and, and I'm not alone in saying this, other SEOs have noticed this as well, that most of the sites that people are writing about being impacted on April 8th or the two weeks following as Google rolled out the product reviews update have absolutely nothing to do with product reviews. Now, there are certainly product review sites that were affected. I'm not saying this update didn't happen. I just looked at SEMrush traffic estimates for some sites that pop to mind that primarily consist of content that helps users make buying decisions. I see PCMag, uh, SEMrush is estimating about a 15% increase in traffic that starts around April 8th and has continued to slowly increase since then. Tom's Guide is another site that does a lot of review related content. Uh, it looks like they had a sudden increase in traffic of about 20% starting April 8th. Uh, and it's a sudden increase, a sudden, like not just a slow gradual growth. And they've sustained that increase since then. But how do we explain the crazy volatility that people are seeing in sites that really don't have pages that are considered reviews? Going back to Glenn Gabe's tweets, he also showed that several of the sites that were affected on April 29th had been affected by the December core update. This is also a little bit unusual because Google's own documentation says, and, and this is our experience as well, is that if you were dramatically impacted by a Google core update, you might see some improvements as you make changes to improve quality but you're not likely to see significant recovery until Google runs another core update. So if Glenn is saying that with the product reviews update, he's seeing recoveries of sites that were impacted by the December core update, I think that the two of them are connected somehow or target similar things perhaps. I'll just finish this part because I feel like I could babble on about this for a few hours and it would help me sort things out in my head, but it probably wouldn't add much value to your day. Um, what I'm trying to say here is that Google made a big deal of launching this product reviews update, and it really does seem to have affected a lot of websites in the same way that a core update would. In the show description, you'll find a, a link to Google's blog post on their advice regarding the, the product reviews update. Even if your website doesn't have content that would be considered review content, it's still worthwhile for you to read this. I don't think it's fluff or wishful thinking on Google's side. I really think it's a specific list of questions of things that Google's tackling algorithmically. And the questions asked in there are very similar to the questions that Google says to ask yourself in the blog post that's been my favorite for a while now, what webmasters need to know about core updates. Again, I'll link to that in our show notes as well. So my thought in all of this is that with both of these Google blog posts combined with what they've shared with us already about the quality raters guidelines, they give us so many clues as to what Google is trying to value with their algorithms now. When I first started in SEO, we'd have fascinating discussions online about, we'd argue about things that we thought were and weren't ranking factors. I mean, we'll probably always have those discussions, but my very first question in an SEO forum was about keyword density. And people would argue what percentage of the words on a page should be the keyword that you wanted to rank for. Because it really seemed that there was a connection that if you mention your keyword enough, you could convince Google's algorithms that your page was relevant to this query, to this keyword. 
The point that I'm trying to get across here is that we're used to trying to reverse engineer a rules-based algorithm. And it was way easier back then. I feel that Google's so advanced now that I, I, I feel we have to move past trying to reverse engineer algorithms and instead truly improve our businesses and actually become the best choice for the person who's searching for your products, your service, your, your content. Let me try to explain this further. The first question in the product reviews update post tells you to ask yourself whether you express expert knowledge about products where appropriate. And Google's blog post on what site owners need to know about core updates have several questions they ask about expertise. Uh, for example, does the content present information in a way that makes you want to trust it, such as clear sourcing, evidence of the expertise involved, background about the author, or site that publishes it, such as through links to an author page or a site's about page. Now, if we go back to that mindset that I had when I was trying to figure out the perfect keyword density many years ago, the reason why I did that was I was trying to figure out how many times do I need to say this keyword for Google's algorithms to think that my page is relevant to this keyword. But in reality, adding a keyword a few more times, it wouldn't add any value to a searcher who's reading my page. It wouldn't actually make my page more relevant, more helpful. It was done to trick an algorithm into thinking our content was more relevant. I think the same thing's true of links for a lot of us today. The reason why many SEOs focus on building links is that we know that for many years, Google's algorithms have valued links because links are the same thing as a recommendation. The purpose of a lot of link building is to try to convince Google's algorithms that people are recommending your content. Well, I think that Google's getting better at being able to algorithmically determine when links really are recommendations worth counting and also to algorithmically assessing the answers to the questions that they've asked in these two blog posts that I keep talking about. So both of these blog posts tell us that we need to present information in a way that demonstrates our expertise. So we could take that same mindset that I had 10 plus years ago, and we could think that, I don't know, maybe Google's algorithms look at your site and say, all right, we see an author bio, so that's plus one point. And we see an about page, so that's another point. By the way, it seems that one of the major discussions on Twitter after each podcast episode I publish is what did Marie mispronounce today? <laughs> My apologies to Morty Oberstein, who is not Morty Oberstein, like I said. Morty was a good sport about it, though. I'm just laughing because... Whenever I present at conferences, I didn't know that people made fun of Canadians for how we say about, about page. It reminds me of the first time I visited Florida. I feel like I've told you this story before, so bear with me if you've heard it before. But uh, I was in Florida, and this was the days before we had Google Maps on our phone. And I went into a grocery store to try to find a, a road map because I was doing this road trip in, in Florida and I couldn't find them. So the person in the grocery store said, oh yeah, yeah, they're in aisle six. And so I'm sitting here in aisle six and I'm looking at a bunch of cleaning supplies when it hit me that I was looking at mops, not maps. 
Language is just really weird, and apparently Americans have a hard time understanding me. Anyways, let's get back to this, the first question about expertise. So I want to give you an example. Let's say you're into gaming, and you decide to create a website where you review new games on the market. Maybe you review gaming equipment, and you include affiliate links to uh, when people buy that equipment that you can get paid for it. That's a good example of a, a blog, right? That would be an affiliate blog. You, you should most definitely have an author bio on those posts that's written to convince your reader that you know what you're talking about when it comes to gaming. You can brag about like the size of your Twitch audience or your latest accomplishments in games that you play. You could tell everybody how amazing it is that you're a 47-year-old mom who placed top 2% in a Fortnite sniper tournament last week. Okay, wait, <laughs> I'm just uh, bragging a little bit. It's really not that good to be top 2% because a lot of people just uh, don't play the full tournament, but still, I'm proud of myself, okay? Um, my, my point here is that you should be writing things in your bio that convince the reader that your recommendations are worth reading. So do Google's algorithms look at that? Do they try to figure that thing out? I don't know. They might. I think they could use language processing to determine what you say about your authors. And then they could use their entity information in the knowledge graph and entity associations to, to, to verify whether those things are actually true. If my author bio says that I've spoken at many SEO conferences, well, then there's information in the knowledge graph to back those claims up. But really though, that type of EAT related information, it should already be in Google's algorithms. You know, so why do I need to write an author bio to inform them of that? Our line of thought is that yes, you should brag about your authors. You should try to convince your readers that your author is going to give them advice that you could trust. Now, we do feel that writing good author bios can help pages get ranked better. I met somebody once at a conference that, uh, this was a couple of years ago and they were the lead SEO for a very well-known large website. And he shared with me that they took my advice at the time on EAT and they applied it to just a small subset of their pages. And mostly what they saw, what, what they did was they added author bios. They wrote author bios that included words that demonstrated some of the real life personal expertise on the subject that they were writing on. So he told me that with the latest core update that had just happened at this time, this is, was in like late 2018 or something like that. They had a significant increase in rankings, but only across those pages that they had added author bios to. So he was telling me that their next task as a team was to implement author bios across their entire site uh, because it had worked really well for them. Well, around the same time, we also had a client who dabbled a little bit in black hat methods and, and most of kind of gray hat stuff. And I mean, we, we don't work with a lot of black and gray hat clients, but uh, you know, we, we can always give our opinions on what uh, we feel Google is, is looking at um, in terms of quality for your website. So he took our EAT advice and tried to trick Google with it. So what this guy did was go to Amazon and he found somebody who was known as an authoritative author on his subject. And then he just made an author bio on all of his posts saying that this famous author wrote them. Boom, instant EAT, right? <laughs> 
Now, before you get any ideas, it, it didn't work. This site has continued to decline with each core update, they decline. We haven't consulted with them in a while, but we still have them on analytics. And something that we see when you're committed to trying to trick Google, in some cases it could work for a little while, but usually not for long. I believe Google's goal is to be able to truly understand who the authorities are in each subject matter, who the trustworthy websites are, and who actually has expertise to talk on these subjects. I think that in this case, there wasn't any information in the knowledge graph to support the idea that this famous author also wrote for our client's website. Now, going back to that gaming blog, my apologies, I'm all over the place here today. What, what if you wrote an article reviewing the top five controllers to use? That would be a review article, right? Uh, maybe you're talking about a particular game, the top five controllers to use for Fortnite. Does this mean that you now have to go and buy all five of these controllers or beg the manufacturers to send you a free sample so that you can blog about them in order to demonstrate like real firsthand expertise? I don't know the solid answer to that, but I know that if you did, it would be better content than if you didn't. It would be more helpful to me who's trying to decide what I want to buy. I mean, if I want to check the boxes in this blog post on product reviews that Google gave us, I need to express expert knowledge about each of these controllers. I need to know what sets each of them apart from their competitors. And Google's told us very specific things like describe key choices in how a product has been designed and their effect on users beyond what the manufacturer says. So if your affiliate posts are basically just curating knowledge from all around the web, that may not be enough. So someone who's an expert in playing video games could say, well, yeah, I use an Xbox Elite and I think it's the best. And that would be a great person to trust, you know, if I was trying to decide on an Xbox Elite. But what about the other controllers? If I put myself in the shoes of a searcher and I think, what are their needs? How do we meet their needs? What type of expertise is the searcher looking for? They're probably looking for feedback from people who not only have used each of the different types of controllers, but also are seen as knowing what they're talking about in terms of playing video games. So I actually think that there are ways that we could demonstrate expertise that go well beyond what we could write in an author bio. If I was writing this article on controllers and Fortnite, I would find well-known pros or content creators and I'd interview them because they're the experts. They have real hand, first hand expertise, real life, first hand expertise on using controllers, you know, multiple hours per day. And I'd ask them, what controller do you use? What are the pros and cons of that controller? So now instead of an article that just regurgitates what all of the manufacturers of these controllers say, are there pros and cons? We have experts who use this product day in and day out, sharing what they believe the pros and cons are. I should say here that I'm, I'm very heavily theorizing here. It's possible that I'm giving Google too much credit, but I think that this is the direction that they're going in. Google became the dominant search engine because they recognized that links were a proxy for recommendations. And ranking websites based on recommendations turned out to be a pretty good thing for Google. It made them a better search engine than any other one that was out there. 
By the way, today as I record this is uh, Yahoo Answers is gone from the web, completely gone. You know, that was a search engine that Google just blew them out of the water because their algorithms were so much better. And Google's algorithms were always based on recommendations. They used links as proxies for recommendations. Well, I think that Google's getting better and better at understanding content. And what we need to be doing is producing the most helpful content that's out there. We can go on on theories about how Google could programmatically determine whether you really do have expertise and whether you tick the boxes to all the answers in these questions in their blog post. But I want to finish this part of the podcast with something that I quote all the time when I speak at conferences. It's a quote from Ben Gomes when he was the vice president of search at Google. He was talking to a CNBC reporter about Google's quality raters guidelines, which essentially, in my opinion, are the same as what's in these questions in these blog posts from Google. The questions really summarize the, the QRG basically. So he said, you can view the Raider guidelines as where we want the search algorithm to go. They don't tell you how the algorithm is ranking results, but they fundamentally show what the algorithm should do. So I think we need to just get used to the fact that we're going to have regular updates all the time as Google gets better at figuring out truly what is going on with our content. And if you've been negatively affected by one of these many updates that we've been seeing, I, I keep saying since January, I'm almost wondering now if this was something that started with the December core update, but really we've had so many little updates that push Google further ahead into being able to algorithmically assess content. So if you've been affected by one of these updates, then we've written in newsletter our advice for recovery, but I'll summarize here the important parts. First, thoroughly read the quality raters guidelines. Google's blog posts that I've been talking about are an excellent start, but there's a lot more gold in the guidelines themselves. And especially pay attention to the examples that Google gives in the guidelines. Next, learn all you can about what Google tries to measure in terms of EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. And do all you can to demonstrate those both on and off your site and in your business as well, in real life. We have a really thorough blog post on this, which I'll link to in the show notes as well on our thoughts on EAT and what the quality raters guidelines say about EAT as well. We always do recommend a thorough technical audit for sites that have seen losses. Although the vast majority of sites that have seen declines right now are not going to be recovered with technical fixes, in my opinion. And then once you've worked through all of that, start looking at intent. I've covered intent in a number of podcasts so far. Gosh, not fully covered. We're, we're going to be talking about intent for quite some time, but I think I need to move on to the rest of the interesting SEO news for this week as I've been babbling about this algorithm update for quite a while. So I'm going to leave talk about intent and meeting searchers needs for another day. Uh, but that is something that I think is vitally important when it comes to ranking in Google's algorithms today. All right. What else was interesting this week? Google released their report on how they fought spam for 2020. They said, quote, by combining our deep knowledge of spam with AI, last year we were able to build our very own spam fighting AI that is incredibly effective at catching both known and new spam trends. 
What I thought was most interesting about this report was the little diagram that they used that showed all the different ways that they work to detect spam. And they said that it starts with crawling. I thought this line was important. Crawling is when our automatic systems visit content and consider it for inclusion in the index we use to provide search results. Some content detected as spam isn't added to the index. Now we've been talking a lot over the last year or so about sites that are having indexing issues. I had several people reach out to me this week talking about clients with indexing issues. And I'm not sure if there's an increase in problems right now, or it's just that I've been talking about it. So people are trying to share examples with me, but it does feel like something's going on and Google does not index content like they used to. I, I do think that for a lot of the sites that feel that Google has mistakenly not indexed their content, that Google's automated algorithms are now just determining that it's unlikely that they're ever going to want to show this page to anybody who searches. And there's really no reason to have it in their index. They say in this blog post that they're using automated systems aided by AI to detect spam. Oh, hello. I like this part. Another dimension where advances in AI helped tremendously was in understanding content of sites. An example of this can be found in how we helped improve the way we rank product review, informational, and shopping sites. And they link to their blog post on the product review update. They go on to say, Google search is a great way to research and find products before you make a purchase. And we wanted to make sure that you're getting the most useful information for your next purchase by rewarding content that has more in-depth research and useful information. I didn't catch that the first time I read this though, that they've just told us that they've used artificial intelligence to understand content on websites. And they've said that this is what led to the product reviews update. Advances in AI help tremendously in understanding content of sites is what they said. My theory for a while now is that Google has been using their advancements in understanding language to better understand whether content meets the needs of searchers. Language processing, natural language processing, that's a branch of AI. So that's kind of cool. I tweeted about this Google announcement about how Google says in this blog post that their automated systems keep more than 99% of visits from search completely spam free. And a few people disagreed with me and showed me that there was still spam in their verticals. Well, I looked at a few of them and I didn't agree that these posts were spam. One of them made me laugh because they, uh, uh, somebody explained how uh, this one particular site had risen above them and they felt it was a very spammy affiliate site. Um, and it turns out that it was actually our client. Uh, and, and this is something that I'm seeing when a lot of the time what we think is spam is actually still something that's useful to the searcher. I kind of wish this particular client's site looked a little more modern, looked a little less spammy. Uh, but when you get into the information that's offered in this post, it actually does a really good job at helping people decide which product to buy. So sometimes what we think is spam, you know, may actually be helpful to some people. All right, I'm supposed to tell you here about this eating with Marie thing. Although I'm kind of liking Glenn Gabe's idea of Twitter, he thinks we should call it heat wings, as in H-E-A-T. Whatever we call it, we're going to do this 
event. <laughs> I'm kind of a little stir crazy. I, I haven't gone out anywhere beyond my street in months. And uh, although David and I are signed up to get a vaccine now, once once the supplies here, then we should be able to get it. So that's uh, that's pretty exciting. But we're trying to think of fun things to do. And we've been saying for a while that I should do a hot wings episode where I answer SEO questions while David gives me stupid hot wings to eat. Um, and something you should know about my husband, David, is that he has probably about 200 different hot sauces. And some of them actually, when you open it up, there's a waiver they want you to sign before you use the hot sauce. They're that hot. <laughs> so I I'm going to do it all in good fun, <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. I, we're we're going to videotape David asking me these questions, which by the way, I'd love for you to submit a question. You can just tweet something and use the hashtag eating with Marie, no spaces, no dashes. And we'll pick the best questions, at least ones that I think I can answer well for me to answer well while I'm in agonizing pain. <laughs> That sounds great, doesn't it? Uh, if you do want to submit a question, my areas of expertise are in EAT, hence the hashtag eating with Marie, uh, Google's organic algorithms, quality readers guidelines, Google penalties, link quality. Those are all things that I would be happy to answer. Should be fun. And I, I promise I'll post it even if I end up in tears. <laughs> so if you love seeing people in pain, then stay tuned. That'll be up on our YouTube channel sometime soon. Oh, and before we finish up with just a couple of other interesting things that happened in SEO this week, shout out to Ryan Mendenhall. Oh, I hope I said your name right, Ryan. I should have checked with you first. A couple of episodes ago, I shared with you guys how Summer, our head of social media at MHC, really, really does not like Nicolas Cage. I, I don't know why. I think he's a fascinating actor. But if you really want to bug Summer... You need to send her a picture or a GIF of Nicolas Cage. So Summer runs the MHC underscore Inc. Twitter account. And this morning, Summer asked us in Slack, why does this keep happening? And she shared a screenshot of Ryan sending a GIF of Nicolas Cage with glorious flowing hair. <laughs> you made her day. Well, actually, you made my day and the rest of the team's day. You probably made Summer's Day much worse, but you know what? It's all worth it. It's all good. So here's the thing. Most of my team are supposed to listen to podcasts every week, but Summer, she doesn't necessarily have to because she doesn't do audit work on the team. Although I'd argue that Summer probably knows more SEO than many of you who are listening because she's proofread almost everything that's left MHC for several years now and every word of newsletter, and she writes for newsletter too. But I think she might not be listening to podcast. And again, it's okay. She doesn't need to. But I thought it would be really funny if we all just kept randomly sending reminders to her of her favorite actor. So if you want in on this, again, tweet at MHC underscore INC Inc. with words of encouragement for her and the most glorious picture of Nicolas Cage you can find. She'll love it. <laughs> all right. Moving on. The other thing that a lot of people were talking about this week was this new thing that was appearing in featured snippets. Ramesh Singh was the first one that pointed this out on Twitter, that for many terms in India, when Google was displaying a featured snippet, there was what looks like internal links inside of the featured snippet, which looked kind of exciting. Uh, you know, anytime Google adds links to help people to get to our content, that's great. 
the problem is, so Barry Schwartz replicated it, and he tweeted a GIF of him searching for, uh, I think it was cybersecurity course. And the featured snippet that Google displayed, it, it was a featured snippet with content taken from a site called Sheikshaw.com. <laughs> um, and some of the words in the snippet were hyperlinked. So it looked like these were internal links that would point to this website that I can't say their name. No surprise there. So at first this was exciting because, I mean, again, internal links sound like a good thing. But what happens if you clicked on one of these links, it would actually just open up a new search. Uh, so if you clicked on the link for cloud security, it opened up a new link for a new search that would feature a whole bunch of competitors. So people were understandably upset about this. It's bad enough that Google can take our content and display it to searchers in a featured snippet in a way that often makes searchers not need to click through to our websites. That's bad enough. But in this feature, they're taking our content and inserting opportunities to go to other websites. Definitely not ideal. So a Google spokesperson apparently has said that this is a bug and it wasn't intended on Google's side. Uh, I really wish I knew what happened there. I feel like there's more to this story and there's something to be learned. Uh, so if you have more thoughts on that, feel free to tweet at me um, and uh, I'd love to uh, hear what you think about that. For those of you who are local SEO practitioners or business owners as well, my apologies for not covering too much local news lately. Uh, we did notice that the local ranking flux tool, Bright Local's ranking flux tool, uh, was showing really big changes this week. Like there was maybe a significant local update, but from what we can see, most of the local SEO experts are not really seeing anything of note. So I thought it was worth mentioning, but um, uh, I don't know, it might be an issue with the tool, um, might be just a search feature changed or something like that. Uh, what else? There's uh, just a little change to Google Search Console. People are saying that we're no longer seeing scroll to text data in Search Console. Yeah, we've already made fun of me saying data rather than data. I, I tried to change that. That one's strongly embedded into my brain. So <laughs> if you were using scroll to text data in Search Console to try to analyze featured snippets, that option's gone now, apparently. This is probably a good place to end things for this week. If you're a newsletter subscriber, we've got a really interesting article that Alec summarized from a site called newsdash.com, talking about things that they learned after studying Google patents that talk about Google News, and in particular, how Google determines what content to rank for breaking news. I found that really, really interesting, so you might want to uh, have a read of that if you're involved in Google News at all. Uh, if you want to inquire about higher my team or having my team and I review your website for you, you can reach out at help at mariehaines.com and one of our senior auditors, Callum, will determine whether or not we would be able to help you and uh, what it would take for us to do that. This is the part of the episode where I should tell you that if you've enjoyed it, you should like and subscribe. I, I greatly appreciate all of you who take the time to share with me how podcast has helped you. Uh, I'm going to go off and melt into my couch right now, play a bit of Fortnite, and try to survive the evening. I, I'm not sure if I should talk about this, but because I feel like talking about it will make it worse. But David and my girls are getting great joy out of just randomly scaring me now. I was saying goodnight last night to my oldest and it was super dark in the room and we're having this great talk. And then all of a sudden, this sudden loud stomping turkey noise 
thing came running into the room. It was David flapping his arms around. I nearly had a heart attack. And Isabella went to bed laughing at my expense. So I guess it's all worth it. The things we do to keep our children happy. <sighs> but this seems to be a trend and I'm not liking it. So wish me luck. If there's no podcast next week, it's because they've successfully scared me to death. <laughs> All in good fun. I hope you're able to have fun wherever you are in the world. Thanks so much for listening, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. <laughs>